0: Welcome to Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, October 7th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Another weekend, another lost cause for our area major college football teams. Kansas State gave sixth-ranked Oklahoma all it could handle in a loss at Manhattan. The return of quarterback Skylar Thompson inspired the Wildcats, but the defense must improve. At Missouri, defense was non-existent in a loss to Tennessee. The unit was so bad that day, Eli Drinkwitz fired the defensive line coach on Sunday and is not allowing his defensive coaches or players to talk to the media this week. Kansas ran into a buzzsaw at Iowa State, this after some encouraging play in losses for the Jayhawks over the previous few weeks. But late night at the Fog came off without a hitch, so not a lost weekend at KU. Lila Bromberg, Kellis Robinette, Jesse Newell, and Gary Bedore are here to break down the teams they cover. So let's get started with today's Sportsbeat KC. Lila Bromberg covers Mizzou for the star. And let's start uh, with some uh, current events here, Lila. Uh, Missouri got some bad news just today on the injury front, tell us about what happened to Ennis Rakestraw.
1: Yeah, Ennis Rakestraw uh, tore his ACL in practice Tuesday, so he is out indefinitely, will not be available for the rest of the season. Um, you know, he had appeared in four or five games for Missouri and had 13 combined tackles and two pass breakups. So, you know, it's definitely a loss for a struggling defense. Uh, we got the sense from Drinkwitz already on Tuesday that things were going to be shaken up a lot on the defensive side and really both sides of the ball with, you know, having no depth chart for the team. So it's kind of unclear who might be replacing him because they seem to be starting, you know, as he said, it's kind of like fall camp again.
0: Right, right, right. So let's get into that. Um... Um, Saturday, I'm driving over to the Kansas State-Oklahoma game in Manhattan and listening to the Missouri radio broadcast with all the gory details. Possession after possession is a Tennessee touchdown. Meanwhile, Missouri can't do anything offensively. It was as much a one-sided game that I've heard Missouri play in, in a long, long time. It must have been, you know, I know you've only covered a couple of Mizzou games, but you must have been somewhat dumbfounded watching this game unfold.
1: Yeah, especially it's one thing if you have a performance like that against a ranked team. Tennessee came into that game 2-2 two and two and Mizzou was favored. So to see them, they allowed Tennessee to score 35 points in five minutes of possession to open the game. I've never seen anything like that before, just letting a team score that quickly. And really, they were out of it very early in the first quarter. And you knew their defense was bad, but at this point, it was, it was kind of so bad that, it, like you said, it was kind of dumbfounding.
0: Yeah, look, it it had been bad at Boston College at Kentucky. Kentucky's proven to be a good team, went and beat Florida last week. And, um, you know, Boston College representative team in the ACC. Missouri gave up a lot of points in those games, but there was really nothing that happened in those two games to lead you to believe that they would be, I mean, just horrific against Tennessee in in the first half. You know, that 92-yard touchdown run, that's uh, inexplicable. I mean, that... You know, there, there wasn't a Missouri player anywhere near that. The Missouri defender, after he, you know, got to the second level. I've, I heard from some Missouri fans afterwards, and embarrassing was a kind of a common theme from, from Missouri fans. But, um, look, as you said, Eli Drinkwitz uh, made some changes this week, uh, not just with the, you know, not revealing of the depth chart, but it happened almost immediately after the game, but on Monday we found out that uh, a coach had been fired.
1: Yeah, I think it actually found out Sunday, maybe. Yeah, Sunday. I think it was kind of midday Sunday. So he decided to fire defensive line coach Jeff Jeffro Franklin and is going to have Al Davis come in at defensive line coach. Um, so Al Davis was a defensive analyst for the team. He coached defensive tackles at Illinois last year and was a associate head coach and defensive coordinator at Hutchinson Community College for a few years. He played at Arkansas and was a graduate assistant there uh, before that. So it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't know how much, you know, change we're going to see or how big of an impact that will have. So it's certainly going to be something interesting to follow because I don't know if you can get that much worse than the worst run defense in FBS. So I feel like it has to improve somewhat.
0: Yeah, and I, I, will, I will say this for Drinkwitz, it was such an alarming outcome that he felt the the need to make a a, a drastic move, right? And it, this, you know, firing a coach at midseason is something of a drastic move. At least he did something. Whether this helps, whether the, the the Tigers improve along the defensive line, I I don't know. But there was very little resistance. Seems like you know, I've gone back and looked at the at least the highlights of the game. Players being, I don't know if they were out of position, but they weren't in a position to make plays and, and tackles and when when a team rolls up as you know as many what 450 rushing yards as tennessee did in in enhance missouri the most lopsided loss in sec history did i did i hear that right was that correct
1: it was their worst loss in sec play yeah.
0: Right, right. So the biggest loss for Missouri in SEC history then changes were imminent. And so we, we, we've got a new defensive line coach at Mizzou. A couple other things that, uh, that have happened in the aftermath of this game Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator who is usually available for interviews for the media, not available this week, nor any defensive players. So who got to speak for Missouri this week? <laughs>
1: Uh, we had a punter, Grant McInnes and Case Cook, an offensive lineman. Uh, It was very clear the entire time that they had kind of been instructed not to really say anything. So it was not a very useful media availability, really didn't get anything from that. They wouldn't really say anything. And I think I I think that's an issue. I think that when your team's not doing well, you still got to give the same access and still have the same accountability. So it's going to be interesting because that now is the second week in a row that defensive players weren't really made available, you know, because this hasn't just been an issue versus Tennessee. This has been an issue all season with the defense.
0: And you're right. Look, it's only Eli Drinkwitz's third year as a head coach, but he's been around for a while, you know, coached at, at NC State and Auburn and other places. Um, he, he knows that really knows how it works. And you're absolutely right. When when things go bad and look bad, it's not a time to avoid public comment. I think it's, it's time to show some character. Uh, you know, an athlete or a coach doesn't have to bring out a playbook and draw X's and O's for people. But they certainly can talk about the need to stick together and what the, you know, what the, the locker room needs to be. And those are the stories that are pretty common for teams that are going through a rough patch like Missouri is now. But to not have anybody comment on, on behalf of the defense, I think was, I think it was the wrong move by Eli Drinkwitz this week. Uh, we'll have to see. And I got to tell you, Lila, you know, watching those highlights, the offense didn't help the defense at all. Nothing much was happening on either side of the ball for Missouri. The defense is getting all, is getting hammered this week as it should. But, you know, I, I thought Connor Baselak, probably his worst game, couldn't find anybody. Receivers couldn't get open. And everything was bad for Missouri, especially in the first half.
1: Yeah, really everything did go bad for Missouri in that game. You mentioned Connor Bazelak that didn't look great. He had two interceptions. The offensive line was not giving as good of protection as it had in previous weeks. That had really been a strength that wasn't really there. They seemed disconnected in that game and really just couldn't get anything going on either side of the ball. And, you know, it's their worst loss in SEC play. It really was about as bad as it gets.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, who had a good game, though, was uh, Spot the Robot. <laughs> Uh, The halftime show. Had you ever seen anything like that?
1: I had not. Uh, It kind of reminded me of something I'd seen in Black Mirror, the TV show. But uh, in real life, no, I hadn't. (laughs) We'll see if
0: we can dredge up a photo of uh, of Spot, the robot who danced with the band at halftime. All right. So uh, Missouri has North Texas coming into town on Saturday. This is a team that the Tigers will be our favorite against, should win. But you can't take anything for granted with Missouri these days. Uh, but North Texas does something well that Missouri hasn't defended well this year. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah. I think this is a game where like, you know, Missouri is clearly favored and, and all of that, but I honestly wouldn't be that surprised if they really don't perform well in this game or you have a possible upset, as you mentioned Uh, One of the things that North Texas does really well is running the ball and they have a really good running back, which is not good news for the Mizzou defense. Um, So, I mean, I think you could have a situation where, you know, if you have the offense not performing as well, or you have them not playing as well against this running back, I mean, that's a situation where you could possibly have an issue. I mean, they should win this game, but after last week, it seems like anything's possible.
0: It's kind of like fall camp is what Eli Drinkwitz has said this week. They're starting over at Mizzou. All right, Lila, thanks for the update. We'll talk to you again next week.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Gary Bedore and Jesse Newell are here. Of course they cover KU for the star. Uh, Late night seemed to be a success. Um, the, uh, I, I read all the stories, watched some of the highlights, Gary, what, um, any any takeaways from the 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 action on late night? As Bill Self said, as Roy said, Roy Williams said before him, and Larry Brown before him, you can't tell anything from a late night practice. It's just a scrimmage. But uh, to the trained eye, did you see anything that was interesting on late night from the player standpoint?
2: Yeah, I thought uh, Ochai Agbaji played pretty well. Out of all the newcomers, it looked like KJ Adams looked like he was very comfortable aside from that there were a couple of good passes remy martin had one i think cam martin actually had one at 6 foot 9 but uh they shot so poorly the team 7 out of 30 or so that it really was not a memorable thing because it was really noticeable that they were just missing shots
0: yeah it's going to happen on late night i don't expect them to come out blazing on, on a what, what amounts to a kind of a sloppy scrimmage. I, interesting, though, what Bill Self said. And Jesse, I think I read this in your story. We're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger. It's almost like the Olympic motto. Might be braver, too. I don't know. That was in reaction to the way last season ended, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it was. So if you remember after the USC game, Bill Self was sort of asked, you know, what can you do after an embarrassing performance like that? And I think most people, myself included, kind of thought, Hey, you just sort of recoup what you have and get those guys better and try again next year. And sometimes again somebody tournaments a crapshoot, but he kind of went in the opposite direction. He said, Hey, you got to go out and recruit. You got to go out and get better pieces. And uh, I don't think anybody could have anticipated, you know, God bless Gary for tracking the transactions log for KU basketball through this off season, because it would rival anything that the chiefs and the Royals have ever done. Can you bring in 10 new players for this season? So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that stood out to me from that was just they look faster. Um, and Marcus Garrett had his strengths. He did things that uh, there were things he did really well. We know his defense. He was National Defensive Player of the Year for one of the seasons. But him playing point guard, I think, was more what they had to do rather than what they wanted to do. And with seeing Joseph Yesifu out there and Rami Martin, Bobby Pettiford, even Dewan Harris, another year older, this team has a different speed to it than it did a year ago when they were pitching ahead to Marcus Garrett. Pitching ahead to Joseph Yesafu is gonna be different. The kid is look like you shot out of a cannon and Rami Martin, you know, he's gonna push the pace as well. So Bill Self, you've kinda of heard him talk a little bit too about it. Seems like he kind of weaves away from this and then comes back to old comfort level, which is to play those two combo guards together. That's been him talking about that for so many years now, but Again, he's had teams like when Elijah Johnson had to play point guard for them about 10 years ago, where he's strayed away from it, and they haven't looked as versatile. And then last year, when Marcus Garrett played guard, point guard, they weren't as versatile. So I think he's sort of leaning, at least in this point in time, to trying to get two of those point guard slash combo guards on the court at the same time to increase that team speed. So yeah, Remy Martin, Joseph Yasu, Bobby Pettiford, Dewan Harris, I think he wants two of those guys on the court at the same time as much as possible to try to give this team a different dimension than what they had a year ago.
0: There are so many guys on this roster that when I, when I think about the prospects for KU basketball, I always forget one or two guys because there's just a ton of them. But one guy that I I, I haven't forgotten about is, is Yesfu. You've mentioned him a couple of times because I remember him in the NCAA tournament playing Wichita State. Just an incredible dunk. The athleticism that he showed in that game was eye-opening. So we'll we'll see what it, what it turns out to be and how minutes get distributed. That's always going to be really interesting, especially early on. So the star of the night was Libby Frost. She talked about Kansas not shooting well. She shot lights out. <laughs>
3: Yeah, she was impressive. I, I love talking to her afterwards. You know, for those who weren't there, Bill Self gives everybody a chance or this year he gave up the two contestants a chance to shoot from half court. She shoots her shot for $10,000. It hits off the side of the rim. The second shot, he allows anybody in the building that they want to pick to shoot it. So like Sharon Collins is sitting there. Brendan Bouchard sitting there. Brendan's hit half court shots in the past when people $10,000 and Libby, who graduated from high school a couple of years ago from Joaquini Trigo. She basically says, no, I, I want to shoot this for myself forget you guys. And so she misses the second one, but, uh, Bill self says, Hey, uh, I'll give you five grand, both of you guys, five grand, if you make a shot from the top of the key. And so just her confidence, it was amazing. She goes up there and she goes to Bill self says, Hey, are you talking about the women's three point line or the men's one? And he says, women's. And she told me afterwards, she said, well, when he said that, I said, thank you very much, because that's a shot I practiced. And I knew I was going to make it. And I mean, literally, once he said, shoot from that line, she fired it up like about two seconds later, and it was nothing but net. So it was really impressive. And then afterwards, talking about how she wants to give it to her mom, her mom's given her so much. And Bill Stoff even said afterwards that she was probably the, the highlight of late night, that sort of thing. It's always a cool moment. I think Bill Self likes giving the money away when it can kind of go to those sorts of feel-good stories. And uh, she was great. She was great during it. She was great afterwards. She was great with her generosity. And one of those cool stories come from late night. Gary kind of talked about it. There really wasn't as much going on in this one. I think some of that was planned by Kansas, but to have a moment like that for her, I think was pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, Gary, what's coming up next hoop-wise? How far are we away from the first exhibition game? Or is there going to be one this year? How is that going to work?
2: The only one will be, I think, November 3rd. They will go to Tulsa to play Tulsa in a secret scrimmage that the NCAA allows. Bill wanted to have it as a road game. That's on the 28th that weekend. He said uh, it was close. They can take a bus. He likes Frank Haith. So they will go there and then play that Emporia State game and then open on the 9th of November in New York against Michigan State.
0: Okay, so just one uh, one preseason game. Yeah, Kansas has always had always played two, but just the one this year. Yeah, Jesse, I guess we have to talk football here for a moment. Not much in the way of highlights from a fifty nine to seven loss to Iowa State. I'm not going to say I saw this coming, but I. I I just thought with Iowa State coming off a really heartbreaking loss to Baylor the previous week and Kansas feeling somewhat good about itself and the performance against Duke. Anyway, Iowa State really looking for someone to take it out on and they took it out on, on the Jayhawk. Kind of a cruddy night weather-wise and cruddy night for Kansas otherwise. Discouraging enough to think differently about the rest of the way or, you know, with the week off this week before Texas Tech comes to Lawrence on the 16th, is there a is reason to believe KU can be better for its next game?
3: Well, I think the good news for Kansas is that this game was the aberration rather than the previous four. And what I mean by that is Kansas gave this game away early. I mean, they're already at a talent discrepancy. They're already at an experience discrepancy. Every game they play, they're going to have that. But in previous games, two of them, they led at halftime and two of them, they were just barely behind and competitive in the third quarter. And that's mostly because they haven't had what we talked about last week, Blair, which is those self-inflicted mistakes, the penalties, the turnovers, you know, those sorts of things. And, you know, Jason Bean runs out of the pocket, fumbles the ball off his leg and you know hands the ball to Iowa State and all of a sudden it's 14 nothing and then he throws a pick in the red zone. He had a guy in front of him who seemed open. He had a guy a little bit further away that seemed quasi-open, and he picked the guy in the end zone across his body that was not open. And so those are the things that KU's really avoided so far this year. But you just can't turnovers worth five points each. You just can't give 10 free points to Iowa State in the first half, especially as good as they're going to be this year because they still are going to be one of the top opponents that KU plays. So I think discouraging in that aspect that this has been the first game that really got away from Kansas from the first quarter on, but encouraging that this is the average This is not the norm for KU. So, you know, looking back at film, I think there's some encouraging things. They ran the ball pretty well against an Iowa State defense that had not given up many rushing yards this year. Devin Neal, the four-star running back from Lawrence, he continues to get better. You see improvement every single week. He's a really intelligent kid that seems to be taking the coaching instruction. So that's a positive sign. But, you know, defensively, uh, we'll talk to the coaches later this week. But I I think it comes down to basics. You know, you look at some of the game film and some of KU's cornerbacks on certain plays are playing man and some are playing zone on the same play. And that's not how you design it. That's not how you draw it up. So how can you get those sorts of things communicated better, fixed, all those sorts of things so that if nothing else, again, Iowa State's better than you, but you can't give them free touchdowns because uh, one half of your team is playing one coverage and one half of your team is playing the other. How can you get those things fixed in season? And then once you get those things fixed, how can you develop guys toward the end of the year? That That's the big thing for Kansas. I don't see their defense improving that much this year, but those are the sort of things are getting cleaned up. If you're just lined up right and know the coverage, you know you're going to make it a little bit tougher for teams to play. And KU didn't make things very tough for Iowa State on Saturday. That's really the disappointing part.
0: All right, and we'll get into the game in a bigger way next week. Jesse, Gary, thanks for joining us, and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. That was Robinette covers Kansas State for the Wichita Eagle and Kansas City Star. And for the first time in well since the Big Twelve basketball tournament uh, in March, we sat next to each other at an event. I really enjoyed uh, covering that game with you, the K-State loss to Oklahoma Kellis. It was good to see a lot of folks in the press box. Good to have the press box open and see fans in the stand. I've been to a couple of college football games this year, and uh, it was great atmosphere on, on Saturday. I wish the outcome had been different. Could have been. I thought Kansas State held its own against Oklahoma, played a great first half. Great game plan against the Sooners. Couldn't get it done in the end. What uh, what was your reaction? Takeaway from the K State loss to OU.
4: I got a few of them. First off, I would agree with you. That's the best home crowd I've seen at a Kansas State football game in a while. And obviously, you think that way because last year we didn't have fans and the crowds weren't very good. But even going back, you know, to Chris Kleiman's first year, probably since Oklahoma was here in 2019, since we've seen a, a crowd that fired up and you could uh, really sense the venom in Manhattan with uh, the treacherous Sooners in town. So I I like that. It was fun to be around that environment again. Um, but once the game actually started, I, I kind of had two big takeaways from it. First off was that the offense is just infinitely better with Skylar Thompson. You could see the versatility was much different. They threw the ball a lot more. They threw the ball more effectively. They didn't have to just line up and run the ball every single time when the defense knew it was coming. And it, it paid off for them. They hit 400 yards for the first time all season, it actually outgained Oklahoma, which you very rarely see in this series and did a lot of great things. I thought it was one of Scott Thompson's best games to throw for 320 yards. I really liked that he stayed in the pocket and slung the ball around rather than doing what he normally does and taking off running. I, I think he might have actually learned something by playing a little hobbled in that game. So th- th- that is encouraging from that standpoint. If the offense can continue playing really at anywhere close to that level. I think on that side of the ball, they'll be fine the rest of the year and, and much better than what we saw with the backup quarterbacks trying to you know, get by against Oklahoma State and Nevada. But on the flip side of things, for the defense to be unable to force a single punt had to be very discouraging. They weren't really much better against Oklahoma State. A week earlier, giving up 31 points in the first half, making Spencer Sanders looking like an All-American. I mean, Spencer Rattler, he did have an interception, but otherwise completed 22 of 24 passes in this game. That is just an absurd number. That, that's that got to be fixed. Kansas State's uh, they're going to have to play a near-perfect game on offense to win if the defense can't play better than that.
0: Sounds a lot like Chiefs.
4: Exactly like the Chiefs, yes.
0: Because I was thinking at, at halftime, Kansas State's margin for error is so small that they could roll out this terrific game plan by, you know, controlling the clock, uh, you know, bleeding possessions and, you know, outgaining Oklahoma at one point 3 to 1. It was like 230 something to 80 something in total yards. It didn't finish that way cuz Oklahoma got a touchdown late in the in the first half. And and Kansas State, you know, still was in a big dog fight and and was trailing at the time. I mean, it's just And all because a fumble on the first possession when Kansas state was driving, was returned 70 yards. And the defense actually did a good job on that possession to, to limit Oklahoma to a field goal after, you know, a real gut punch, but that's a 10 point turnaround there. Um, you know, a a Kansas state touchdown that didn't happen and they were rolling down the field and then turning into an Oklahoma field goal. Um, I I just thought that was a, a critical moment early in the game and, at that point, it meant that Kansas State was kind of playing catch-up from, from that point forward, and it was going to be hard to catch a, an Oklahoma team against, as you said, this, this defense. And Spencer Radler, who was booed at home uh, the previous week for throwing interceptions against West Virginia, was terrific. He was f- fantastic, and maybe got back on the Heisman horse a little bit for him. We'll, we'll see how it goes the rest of the way. I'm not sure I'm convinced that Oklahoma is a playoff-worthy team, a top-four team in the nation, but after Alabama and Georgia, I don't know who is a top-four team. I know you vote in the AP poll, and there was look, Iowa, Penn State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. They're, they're all kind of that next group. But there are a lot of flaws with teams that I see other than Alabama and Georgia, and Oklahoma certainly has its share. But hey, the other thing I, uh, I saw that I really liked from Kansas State, and I wasn't sure what I was going to think about it, was the wide receiver group. I thought they played really well. You've got some guys there that I don't know if they had their best games of the season. But, you know, I just thought, you know, until now, they've been kind of a little bit of a weakness for this team. But I thought they came together as a group pretty well Saturday.
4: They did. It was by far their best game as a unit. Um, in their first four games, the, the most glaring stat was Kansas State's entire receiving corps had zero touchdowns between them. Couldn't get in the end zone a single time. Really nobody in the group had stood out as, you know, being like, hey, he, he looks really good. He maybe could jump up on an all-conference, um, you know, radar by the end of the year. But but things changed in that game. And I think, you know, it's as simple as just saying Skyler Thompson was back and he was much more focused on throwing than usual. And I think that shows you um, maybe that there has been some untapped potential within this offense just because they have always relied on the quarterback run game to the degree they have. I went back and looked. Um, Other than the previous game against Southern Illinois, when Skylar Thompson got hurt and was only in there for part of the first quarter, he had attempted at least three rushes in every single game he'd ever played. Going into this week, was averaging even including this last week was averaging eight point three rushes per game. You saw that number drop to zero, and all of a sudden, his pass attempts climbed to forty one, a career high. He's targeting Deuce Vaughn thirteen times. He's targeting. Phillip Brooks eight times is getting the ball to Landry Weber, to Malik Knowles. And all of a sudden, these guys that we thought were among the worst receivers in the Big 12 look like, hey, they're pretty good. I really liked what Landry Weber gave. If he can continue doing that out of the slot, I think that's a big help. That's definitely another encouragement.
0: Hey, I wanted to ask you about a certain moment in the game, the onside kick that counted then didn't count. But let me set it up first because I wanted to hear what Chris Kleiman had to say about it afterwards. So Kansas State had cut...
4: To 10, it was 27-17.
0: And Kansas State kicked off and a perfect onside kick, right? He traveled exactly 10 yards. The kicker got to it right at the moment that he should have much happiness on the Kansas State sideline. The play is reviewed and, and the play is upheld. Kansas State ball, right? Momentum has shifted. It was a great play. But then there was a further delay in the action, and and you see Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma coach, on his sideline still jawing with the officials, and Chris Kleiman on on the Kansas State sideline saying, let's go, let's play, You've, you've made your decision here, you've reviewed it. You upheld it, let's play. Um, turns out that what we know to happen is the kicker kicked the ball twice. It was you know b- barely noticeable, but you had to slow down the, the replay to see that he had kicked it twice. You can't do that, and that's why the ball went back to Oklahoma. My question was, and I know there was confusion among us in the press box, once a play was reviewed and, and a decision was made, to me that's the end of the challenge. The challenge is now over. You can't challenge uh, the decision on a review, but that's what happened. Oklahoma got the ball, and I'm just wondering what Chris Kleiman thought about this a day or two
4: later. Chris Kleiman, obviously, as you would understand and expect, was uh, angry at the time. I remember seeing the image of him talking with the officials on the sideline, turning his hat around backward, just flabbergasted that they were going to look at this play a second time. Um, he said after the game, he didn't, he had never heard of it before. He didn't know that he could review a review. Two days later, he said somebody at the Big 12 office did reach out to K-State Athletic Director Gene Taylor for some type of further explanation. Uh, He wouldn't share what was said. He said he didn't want to comment anymore on it and move on, which I, I think is fine. Because even though it took forever, it was annoying to stop the game for 10 minutes and very bizarre to review a play twice. They got it right. The Big 12 has publicly explained why they did it. Apparently, it is within the rules to go back and fix something in that area, to review a review, as long as it is a completely separate issue, something they didn't look at before. And it is obvious and potentially game-changing. It is within their rights to change it. That's why they did it. So they got it right. I remember you were one of the few people in the press box who noticed it at the time. Uh, Boy, that looks good, except the fact that it kicked Ty Zentner's foot You know, the ball hit his foot twice accidentally, inadvertently coming off the tee. And we can go a whole lot of ways with this, right? You know, is it fair that officials have to stop a game for 10 minutes to change a rule? I would say no. I prefer the soccer, the soccer way they do it, where if they go to the the VAR review, the ref gets like literally 30 seconds, one minute to look at it. And if he can't tell, he screwed up. Let's just play on, let's go with it. I totally get any fan out there who's saying that's ridiculous. You shouldn't spend that time on review. At the same time, they got it right. And believe it or not, I I do have some inside information here. I've heard from people who were in, you know, in the know on the replay review. For whatever reason, the refs completely legitimately whiffed on looking at his foot at the beginning of the play. They only looked at the 10 yards. And as soon as they heard Lincoln Riley complaining about it, they went back and looked and said, oh, boy, did we get that wrong? And they could tell within seconds, yes, we did. So that helped them say, we need to go back and fix this. And probably one of those plays that will be, (laughs) you know. If you're on the K-State side of it, you'll be complaining about it for a while. If you're on the OU side of it, you'll be liking it for a while. And the only thing I can really say to K-State fans is, you can't let a game come down to that. You're trailing at 10 at the time. The play was correct in the end. Let's just move on.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Look, in the end, the, the call was right. If, if the roles were flipped, you know, Kansas State fans would be, hey, they got it right. That's the most important thing. But. Gosh, it did take forever to sort it out.
4: Let's hope that's the last second review we're a, a part of in a game we're covering. Exactly. Very, very annoying. All right, Kellis. Great catching up. We will
0: talk Farmageddon next week because that is the uh, the next game for Kansas State is
4: Iowa State. Yep. Iowa State is up next. Barmageddon doesn't get much bigger than that. It does not. Not in this part of the country, my friend. It does not. All right, Kellis. Great catching up. We'll talk to you later. You too, player.
0: That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Tip of the cap to Lila Bromberg, Kellis Robinette, Jesse Newell, and Gary Bedore for stopping by and talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. You know about the morning sports edition, right? So if you don't, let me tell you about it. On kansascity.com, you go to the Stars E-Edition. Of course, that's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Well, now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open the E-Edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner that says, All Editions. Click on that and you can access about 15 to 25 pages of sports. Maybe you get a link in your email. I do, it's there by about 6.30 every morning, but either way, it's access to complete coverage of the previous days, sports news, feature statistics, everything. It's fantastic, especially during the baseball playoffs. All right, end of the commercial. Thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City, and we couldn't produce programs like Sports Beat KC without you. We'll be back on Friday talking Chiefs. Be sure to stay tuned for that.